Naomi was surprised by the bounty that Ruth had presented to her. And she said, where did you work? What field did you glean in? So she was excited to see that much food, uh, the uh, availability of that much food, which would have fed Ruth and Naomi probably for several days or many days. And then in verse 20, Naomi praises the man who had given such a bounty. We also realize that for Naomi, there's been a change. Naomi was bitter, but now chapter 2 and chapter 3, she's coming on board realizing that God has always been in control. And then in 21 through 23 of chapter 2, uh, we realize that Boaz had set parameters for Ruth. I want you to glean in this field and don't go outside of that. And we talked about parameters that God sets for us as well within Scripture. And then lastly, we looked at the fact that Ruth was obedient. She stayed within those boundaries. So that's where we catch up. Now in chapter 3, we learn that we all want security. We all want security at some point. Naomi presents two or three questions, depending on how you look at the text. You could go either way, two questions or three. But the problem is stated up front. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Now, you'll notice here, we know that she's the daughter-in-law. She was married to Naomi's uh, son. Well, the husband and the two sons passed away, and that left Naomi uh, with just Ruth and Orpah. And, of course, Orpah turned back to go back to Moab, but Ruth went with Naomi. Something's happening here. Naomi is seeing Ruth not so much as a daughter-in-law, but as a daughter. She's being actually brought in. Uh, and I think maybe some of this is predicated on the fact that um, when Naomi came back, really she had nothing. Remember she said, I, the Lord sent me away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Not really, because Ruth stayed close with her. And so maybe in Naomi's mind, she goes, you know what? This girl is my daughter. I can bring her in, even though she's not flesh and blood. She's a Moabite. This girl stayed with me, and I am now going to make her as part of my family. It is, after all, an affectionate term in Hebrew. And then she says, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Uh, to seek rest here in this text refers to a home. So you could say it this way. Should I not seek a home for you? And then she goes on and she adds that it may be well with you. Uh, the word here, the, the Hebrew word refers to provide an income, love, and support. So what, Ruth, what Naomi's really saying to Ruth is, shouldn't I be looking for a home for you and somebody who could provide for you, not only financially, but love? And you're thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute. Uh, why would Naomi bother herself with this task? Actually, it was the task of parents back in those days to arrange marriages. Uh, it doesn't fit well with our culture. I remember one day as a 17-year-old kid, 
my mom coming home after work and she says, you have a date Friday night. <laughs> I was like, a date Friday night with who? And she said, one of the ladies that I work with at the hospital said that her daughter is looking to go out and have a boyfriend. And I'm like, oh gosh, no, mom, don't do that. But because my mom had already prearranged it, I, uh, I went out on a date and um, well, let's just say it was one and done. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, the girl wound up going into the Marines, so I was kind of scared of her to start with. But, but anyway, anyway, there's something else here, too, that's uh, hard for our culture today. The culture is changing the definition of home. Now, it can be two men, two women, uh, they're able to adopt. But back then, and even for our Christian values today, we still believe that the house is one man, one woman. Um, in today's culture, it's you're self-sufficient. You're not really a team. You are self-sufficient. And I have no, no problem with, with women working and, and, and helping, but we shouldn't see it as self-sufficient. We should see that as supporting and we all know the biblical man, the biblical roles for uh, marriage, that the husband is the head of the house and the wife is, is the housemate or the, uh, the helpmate. But what's happening in our cultures and maybe in the culture and sometimes in the church today is that those lines are being blurred. Naomi simply wants this. Naomi wants Ruth to be in a home where she has a husband. Think about this where she has a husband, one who will provide security and financial freedom, but also one who will love her. Now, that's security that is not spoken about often, but that is security that I bet every woman in this audience wants today. They want to know that their husband loves them, will care for them, will take care of them, not in the sense that uh, uh, she's of no value, the fact is, by doing that, Naomi is saying, I want you to have a prosperous life. I want you to be secure. I want the best for you. Think about who is saying this. Naomi. And this is rather moving, I think. She is wanting another man to come in and pick up where her son left off wow you know I got I got a little hard on Naomi in chapter one but I I can tell you what's happening here Naomi is really trusting God she's actually a woman that now gets what God is doing I like what um, Daniel Block says in his commentary, the word Manoah, place of rest, derives from the same root, Manoah, in nine, and speaks of security and tranquility that women in Israel longed for and expected to find in the home of a loving husband. Men, we have a responsibility. We, as men, have a responsibility to make sure that our wives know one thing and one thing for sure, that we love them. That must be expressed, 
I've, I've heard the old joke where the, where the, the man says to the wife, well, I, I, I told you back when we got married that I loved you and I didn't think I had to repeat it. That's not, <laughs> that's not, and it's in the actions and things that we show in our, in our daily lives with our wives. We are to love them, to pray for them, to care for them, and yes, uh, to provide for them uh, if they choose to stay home. Also, I think it speaks to us too. This is definitely wanting somebody to come along and to help. But if we could put it in a New Testament context, uh, but each of you should not only look out for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. Uh, there's, there's a sense here in which Naomi is putting her needs second and putting Naomi or Ruth's needs first. That's the way it should be in the church. We should all be looking out for each other's interest, even over ours. And so this is a good, this is a good, um, a good verse for so many different reasons. And then she goes on and she states the facts in verse 2, the facts. Facts are vicious things that are hard to refute. And this is what she's going to do. Is not Boaz, so if you take the first two, my daughter should I not seek rest for you, question one, that it may be well with you, question two. And then down here, is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? Notice here, often overlooked in the text is the word are. You see the solidarity now with Ruth. She's not only my daughter, but are. She has fully integrated Ruth into her family. Our relative, modot, or kinship. Um, kinsman. Kinship is the actual word, but kinsman. I, I want to remind us of something that I said a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. Uh, the kinsman redeemer. I want to review this because it's, it's been a while. First of all, the kinsman redeemer was responsible for keeping property in the family. Should the husband have died, there had been uh, land there. He is the one responsible for keeping that land in the family. Secondly, to execute murderers of near relatives. That is, if somebody killed a relative of yours, the kinsman redeemer would then go after that person to bring him to judgment. Um, number three, to ensure justice in lawsuits involving relatives. So the kinsman redeemer had a lot of responsibility. And also to recoup money from victims. So if your family member had been the victim of a crime, uh, dealing with money or somebody stole money, uh, the kinsman redeemer would go back and get that taken care of. But here's the one that we're, that we're concerned about. To buy back those in slavery or to help those who were in poverty. Naomi's in poverty. Ruth is in poverty. And Naomi knows that Boaz is a relative. Naomi knows something here. Naomi knows that Boaz can fix the situation. But let me remind us today as a church though this is good and I see nothing wrong here at all because it's God's word but I want to remind us of something today God is the only one that can fix the problems in our lives 
He's the only one that can take care of us. He's the only one that can direct us. He's the only one that can save us. He's the only one that can uh, tenderly care for us in our times of trouble. There's times of trouble here. Boaz will become the kinsman redeemer, um, and Ruth, Naomi, knows that. She goes on to say in verse 2b, See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Let me remind us of the threshing floor. I like this picture for several reasons, but for one, you'll notice how high it is. The threshing floors were generally high, and of course they would, they would ground the, the, the grain up here, and we'll get into the winnowing in just a minute. But um, So she's saying, I want you, he's going to be winnowing at the floor tonight. Barley is mentioned here. So we do know from the seasonal changes that barley was harvested during the dry season. And that would have been late May to June. And the threshing floors, why they were so high up, was that the winds blew much better. So when they threw it up in the air, the chaff would go away and what would drop would be the actual grain. The point that Naomi is making in verses 1 and 2 is that she wants Ruth and her future to be secure. Every one of us want that for ourselves. And, and, and if you say, well, I don't want a secure future, I don't want to really, I don't want to even, I'm not worried about the future, but all of us deep inside want some type of security for the future. I know we all do. That's a human trait. But I also want to remind us that our security is found in Christ. Ultimately. Naomi doing nothing wrong here. She wants the best for Ruth. This is a good verse to be reminded of. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble, so that we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. My hope, your hope, is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ. He is the foundation for our lives. But secondly, there's nothing wrong with planning for the future, planning for your kids' future. Many of you uh, have planned for your kids, your grandkids to go to college. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not preaching against that this morning. But what I am preaching to try to remind us is, ultimately, our hope and our future is in God's hands. And we trust him. We, we, we do what we need to for the future, but we trust him with our lives. Now, we all want security and a bright future. Again, nothing unusual here because I know Boaz is a godly man and I know that Naomi is a godly woman and Ruth is becoming a godly woman. Verse 3 and 4 have had more ink spilt by scholars. And a lot of my reading this, this week and the week before was focused on verses 3 and 4 so that I sift through the information and come to my own conclusions. She says in verse 3, Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. This <laughs> This is loaded. This is loaded. Um, the, the preparation part. 
Now the first one is wash. This can mean, in the Hebrew, it can mean marriage, it can mean relations, or it can mean to clean. Here's why I don't think this is a marriage proposal. First of all, that would have been very bold on the part of Naomi to present her in marriage. And actually, Boaz goes on, as we read later, he goes on to say, I cannot redeem you. There's one who is closer than me. So this is not a marriage proposal. Some scholars see this as a risque move on the part of Naomi. Well, knowing Boaz, knowing that he is a godly man, there is a possibility that he might see this, but when he finds out who it is, no. I think, simply, she wanted Naomi, or Ruth, to just clean herself up. Secondly, to anoint. This was perfumed oil. I thought about putting a picture of Chanel number 5 up here, but... Uh, no, it was perfumed oil. You can actually still get it, but it's very pricey. I, I looked it up, and it's, uh, some, it's $75 for two or three ounces. So uh, it's quite expensive. Uh, this is not anointing like anoint you to do a mission. No, this is simply just to clean up, to put some perfume on, and then wear your cloak. I think this, is, this was worn as an outer garment. Let me, let me show you what it, what it was. It would come over. Uh, poor people, Ruth being poor, would have taken this cloak, put it on. The cloak goes all the way down to the floor. So the risque issue is probably out the window anyway just with this. Um, this was used because she's going out at night now. This would have, she would have put this over her normal clothes and the, the cloak would have touched the ground and the poor people often used that for a blanket in the evening. There's something else going on here. I think something else that's very, very important. And it also maybe shed some light on what's been going on. And there are several scholars that will agree with me on this. It is possible that up to this point, Ruth was still wearing mourning clothes. And what Naomi is telling Ruth to do is to put her cloak on, re-engage life. The time of mourning for my son and your husband is over. When he sees this, he's going to realize that you are now available. Again, again, I, I think this is very touching. I know it just says, put your cloak on and... But when you study it a little deeper, you start to realize the cultural dimensions that are in play here. She's giving her daughter-in-law, now daughter, permission to find security and happiness and rest. In a way, she's telling her, mourning is over. It is time to re-engage life. It is time for you to now move forward. And I give you my blessing to do that. 
You know, a lot of times what our kids need is our blessing. We need to bless them and let them move on. And sometimes life throws us difficult things and there are periods of mourning. But at some point, you have to engage life again. At some point, you have to move on. And I think here, by her saying, put on the cloak. This could have been left out, by the way. She could have said, just go down to the threshing floor at night and wait for him. But I think this is more symbolic, too. I think it's, it is a definite reference to it is time to get on with life. It is time to live. And then she does tell her to go down to the threshing floor and wait. Go down to the threshing floor. It's nighttime. You've got your cloak on. Uh, it's, it's a sign that you're ready to move on, but also will be a blanket that, that can keep you warm. And conceal yourself. Don't let him know. Don't let him know. That it's you, but do not make yourself known. This is verse uh, 3. Do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Kind of a moving preparation because, um, again, Naomi is wanting her daughter, daughter-in-law, daughter, to have security and a bright future. Mm. That just really spoke to me. I, that just really spoke to me. You think about, that would be like if your son or daughter, God forbid, died. You would be Naomi in a sense, where you have to give permission for them to go on with life. That's difficult. That's tough. So I praise Naomi for being willing to do this. To take this step of... And this is a step of faith, too. This is a step of faith. And then finally, the plan. This is where tons of ink has been spilled. And I'm going to try to be as sensitive as I can with this particular portion of Scripture. But you'll notice in verse 5, she says, But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. First of all, What are they doing winnowing at night? That was an obvious question. What are they, why would they be out there at night winnowing in the darkness? Well, I can tell you. The winds were much higher at night as they sit on the hill. The winds are stronger. So that's one reason. A second thing that is going on here is why would they be sleeping at the threshing floor? So here you would see that Boaz would be sitting by a fire. Uh, The reason that they would do that would be to protect the harvest that they had. If you're going to do the harvest at night, then you're going to need to protect that harvest. So they would sit there by uh, and sleep by where they were doing it. Now here's where the big debate comes in. And Scholarship is divided here. I'm not. I know what's my heart. I know what's going on here. Some scholars view this as a risque move on the part of Naomi. To uncover the feet and lie down. Ladies of questionable character would often visit at night. It was a problem. Um, 
And they would do this in the evening because they knew that the men had been eating and drinking and would be in a good mood and it would be an opportunity for them. For those scholars, they believe it was a very risky move. Can you imagine Boaz waking up uh, when he wakes up and looks at this woman? The first thing he would think is that this is a woman of questionable character. However, I don't believe that. And I can't buy it. First of all, the word feet and the word lies have two specific meanings in this text. Margalot, which is the word for foot, means foot. Some translate that in other texts, which it's true. Some translate that to other parts. And that's wrong because here it refers to the foot. The word lie here, shahav, which means to bed down in the sense of bedding down to go to sleep, not with lie, which is in other uh, texts. The same word means that particular meaning in the sense of relations. But here the word means to bed down. There is nothing unholy going on here. There is nothing ungodly taking place. The writer was specifically targeting Margalot and Shavah, which means feet and to lie down in the sense of going to sleep. But the plan included to uncover his feet. Scholars, again, those that see this as a risque move, refer to something different than what I'm getting ready to tell you. To uncover the foot simply means to lift the sheet and expose the foot. What happens at night when its temperatures drop and you uncover the feet? What, what is the natural thing that happens? I've camped out enough to know that if you wiggle out of the sleeping bag and it's cold, you're going to wiggle back into the sleeping bag. I can tell you that. You're going to cover your feet up. When she uncovers his feet, it will naturally bring a reaction of, I'm cold. And he'll sit up and try to, and then he sees Ruth. And I know some of these scholars think that this was a brazen move, a risque move on the part of Naomi. Uh-uh. And he will tell you what to do. I think James Smith is all over this in his commentary. He says, on her part, Naomi had confidence in the good behavior and result uh, and result chastity of her daughter-in-law. She knew that Boaz was a deeply religious man who would recognize immediately that he was being nudged ever so gently to perform his duty to his dead kinsman by marrying Ruth. This was not a marriage proposal, but it was a, a, a visual image for Boaz to say, with the cloak, I am available. And you are my kinsman redeemer. There's nothing risque in this text whatsoever. This was a great plan devised by Naomi. It was a godly plan devised by her. She kept her daughter fully dressed. There was no impropriety going on. There was no ungodly conduct going on. And when we look at Boaz, who is a godly man, he would have responded exactly how a godly man would have responded. And Ruth... 
uh, following her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law was a, was a godly woman. What she wanted to do was to reveal to Boaz that she is now available. Men, godly men treat women with respect. Godly men will say no to what the world says yes to. Godly men will reject the idea that it's okay to do whatever before marriage. That is wrong. Godly men say no. Godly women do not put themselves in situations where it can be risky. And there's nothing in this text that says, you know what, I'm just going to flaunt Ruth out there, that was not the case at all. I think it's very important that the church and I and people that may be watching this realize that it is not okay to do ungodly things before marriage. I will simply not apologize for that at all. We have a responsibility as believers to rise above what the world says and does. The world says you can live together before marriage, you can do all this stuff. We do not do that as a body of Christ. That is not how we do it. And so here you have Naomi concerned about her daughter-in-law and says, I want you to go, but we're going to do this a godly way. And notice what happened. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Ruth's a good girl. I think also Ruth is learning what it means to follow Yahweh. She is learning that Yahweh is God, and she says, I see it. And think about this for a minute. Ruth sees it now in Naomi. I know she was started out bitter, but she's back. That's her, that's her banner. She's le- learning from her mother now her mother she's learning what it means to follow Yahweh and she knows that Boaz is a is a godly man because he's shown it good morning workers may the Lord bless you may you prosper godly man so Ruth's response is everything that you do I will say oh I wish our kids would do that right (laughs) I wish our kids would obey us like that I can tell you this, train a child in the way to go, and when they're older, they will not depart from it. That doesn't mean they're going to depart and make mistakes and then later come back. But our responsibility is to teach them to follow Christ. In closing, our security and happiness is found in Jesus Christ. Are you looking for your security anywhere else? not the place to look see when you come to saving faith in Christ he has your life from that point forward he has your life he can make what he wants to of it and uh, a second thing I want to say is it's, it's okay to plan for your future but you need to ask a couple of questions here is my plan for the future godly 
how am I going to go about getting what I want? Listen, if you have to cheat, lie, and steal to get what you want, that's not godly. And you might actually get exactly what you want. And it may cost you problems down the road. Naomi's plan was simple, believe it was godly, and it was honorable to God. And Naomi did not even have her own thoughts on her mind. What she was concerned about was her daughter. Very good. And here's the thing, here's the thing that we got to remember. Is that while we plan for the future, allow God to tweak those plans. You may have track A out here. I'm sure Naomi's plan wasn't to go to Moab and lose her entire family, but it did. God majorly tweaked it. But that's because Ruth's going to come in and be part of the lineage of Jesus. But God tweaked that plan radically. And by the grace of, of Yahweh... He knows that Naomi's hurting and he slowly starts ministering to her to where she's back on her feet again. Plan, yes. But make sure that you give those plans to God and allow him to change the plan whenever and however he wants to. Maybe you're here today and you're not really sure that you know Christ. I want to invite you to come this morning and trust in him. Maybe you're here and you're worried about the future. I want you to come up here and lay it down at the feet of, at, at the feet of Jesus. And, and to know that God does love each of you. He has a plan for you. And he will bring that plan about. But we have to be willing to take our plans. And when God speaks and we know it's God to lay it down and allow him to take our life and use it however he wants to. That's a tough thing. That is, that is a tough thing to do. But you know what? I wanted to finish eight more years of a military career so that I could retire. And God tweaked it. In no uncertain terms, God tweaked it. When I joined the Army, and I fell in love with the Army, my, my goal was to spend 20, 25 years in the Army with a career. Never, never in my wildest dreams would I have believed after 12 years God would say, now I'm ready for you to do something else? Never would have guessed that. What would have happened if I would have said no to God's unmistakable call? That Sunday, I beat the chairs down to get to the front to surrender my life to the ministry. And talking with my pastor, still my friend, he said, I believe God's calling you into the ministry. 
and I was willing. That's all it takes. You just have to, when God speaks, be willing to do what he tells you to do. Even if it doesn't make sense. To leave back in the 80s, to leave $2,000 a month, life insurance, health care, to a school that I had never seen did not make sense. And sometimes God will call you to do things that does not make sense. But we have to be willing to do that. Naomi overcame her bitterness. She said, I see a plan here, and I'm just going to trust God with it. Because Naomi said, he will tell you what to do at that point. I'm trusting God. Trust God.